Oh, do we have a jam-packed show for you. California postpones high school football and recruiting will be sent into chaos. Cal says they're going to have only online classes. Will that cancel the Pac-12 season? We are going to start, sit, and cut a few items. Pac-12 players, are they trying to unionize and get a 50-50 revenue split right now? Of course, we have our recruiting updates and reviews and much, much more. He's Ralph Amsden. I'm George Reister, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Please make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, despite what Ralph says. Each episode over the next eight weeks, we will be giving away two $25 Amazon gift cards. The only thing that you have to do to be eligible to win one is to leave a podcast review. It doesn't have to be five stars. Whatever you think this podcast is worth, leave a review and then tweet that review out and tag us in it, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is that you use the most and make sure that you tag us so we get it and see it and you will be eligible. We will choose two people per episode to give back to you guys and to share and grow the Pac-12 Apostles. You want to get a hold of us, send us an email. I'm Matt, I-M-M-A-D, at unafraidshow.com or hit us up on Twitter at Pac-12 Apostles or him at Ralph Amsden, me at George Reister. First things first, Ralph, um, I must shame you to start the episode because we promoted and we said that we were going to talk about a specific thing this episode. We were going to talk about the show Outcry and then what did you go and do? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, you forgot to watch it. <laughs> I spent all week watching The Wire instead. I'm sorry. I got caught up uh, in, in in season two of The Docs, and that's been where all of my extracurricular energy has gone. Um, Wait, you spent time on season two of The Wire? Season two is massively slept on. Let's not. Let's not. It is the worst season of The Wire by far. It's a throwaway season. The, uh, the, no, the show no, probably no. almost didn't get renewed because of season two. That's ridiculous. It was so, that season two was so genius because you didn't have to spend any time on character development. You already knew who everybody was. And the fact that they were tying together this intricate, what would have probably ultimately ended up being like a massive Rico case off of the fact that a police commissioner was upset about where his stained glass window uh, promoting like Polish police officers was going to go because the Polish guys down at the docks already got their stained glass window. Like the fact the whole thing popped off off of the single uh, conflict in the church. It it was hilarious. It was genius. Um, And it's a good, it's, it's an important transition season because you, you, uh, you have the, uh, the falling out that starts to happen uh, between Stringer and Avon and everything like that. And uh, no, nah, you're you're wrong, man. You're wrong. That's a that's a very good season of television. It's been funny. 
<laughs> yes, it, yeah, it, yes, it has. And I always let you do the honor. So you can do the honors of telling us our newest podcast ranking since our last episode. I think we got, uh, we got a few, if I'm not mistaken. And I just want to say that they're all a hundred percent accurate this week. Um, okay. So we last recorded on the 14th, I believe. So there are five here. Um, this one's from Slava212315. Uh, it says, I love the content George and Ralph bring together. These two work so well together and make this podcast great. Definitely recommend this pod to everyone. How nice is that? Is that a family member of yours? No, no, it's not. No, me, me neither. My family doesn't even know what I do all day. Uh, this one is from my guy, Brad Denny down here, who I know listens to every episode. He, uh, he co-hosts a massive podcast down here called speak of the devils. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, it says great takes except for one. This is a four star review. I'll put this out there right away. This is a five-star quality podcast. George and Ralph bring great insight into the Pac-12 from the major stories capturing the headlines to underlying issues that may fly under the radar. It's a top-notch production and a staple of my weekly podcast rotation. It should be in yours, too. So why four stars? Because George hates peanut butter and chocolate, the goat combo. Come on, man. What in the fresh hell is that? Also... Because Ralph said to only give four stars. It's really his fault, George. See, I don't like that last sentence. You have been influencing people and they like to uh, heckle me. They are hecklers from the uh, stands. And yeah, so hope, So as, as, Ra- as Ralph would say, tell us what we can do to earn your fifth star. <laughs> well, you can, you can like... Uh, peanut butter and chocolate. You could just try it. Go and try a different thing that you haven't tried. Because here's another. E I Devil have tried it. It's terrible. Ugh. This is going to lead to more four-star reviews. You understand that, right? And they're going to be the kind of review that we can't fix. Here's another four-star review from Edevil86. The honest and open conversations this podcast has is wonderful. It sheds a lot of light on controversial issues and nails it every time. George hates peanut butter and chocolate. Please spread for awareness. <laughs> this is a good review. Here's a good review. It's a five-star review. And I feel like this episode reinforced what this guy was talking about. Fat Husky is who it's from. Good show. Easily my second favorite football podcast. My only knock is the Oregon hype and the Washington pessimism. Otherwise I enjoy the show. That's, that's as fair as it gets. That's Oregon uh, hype. Uh, and here's our last one from our friend New England Devil. I think this is an updated review. It says, great show, great personalities, real talk, Pac-12, life. Love the sports take uh, on the Kill F. Mary game with the start-sit-cut segment. Um, let's see here. Uh, naturally, George is wrong about peanut butter and chocolate, but it's a free country you're allowed to be wrong. Huh. Oh, and he also says that you were right about lint chocolate being the best. Yep. See? Hmm. And he said his wife's favorite is Cadbury. Where do you rank that? I only eat that at Easter. No, 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 no. You don't eat the Cadbury eggs. He's talking about the Cadbury chocolate. The the, the, uh, best Cadbury chocolate is the fruit and nut bar. 
um, there, there's actually Cadbury here that's made in the, in the United States. And then there's Cadbury that's made in, uh, it's actually a UK chocolate and it's better in the UK. Uh, the, the chocolate's a tad bit different and it is phenomenal. The fruit and nut and nut bar. How in the living hell do you know so much about Cadbury chocolates? And number two, there is a Cadbury peanut butter bar peanut butter chocolate bar nobody would touch that thing you should try it we know to touch it first of all i didn't even know cadbury made non goo filled eggs and now that i know that they make regular chocolate i'm gonna order this peanut butter no order the cadbury nut bar. bar fruit and nut that's not dessert that's health food no no it's not ralph i'm telling you it's phenomenal is that you don't think that peanut butter and chocolate go together. So your opinion on anything, especially season two of The Wire, one of the most brilliant shows ever created, it's not a throwaway season. Even if it's the worst season, and I'm not saying that it is, but even if it is, it's ten times better than a lot of the other garbage that gets put out there. Not ashamed of being a Wire season two fan. And somebody who does not like peanut butter and chocolate together has no room to talk about my... Uh, things that I like or dislike. And that includes Khalil Tate, by the way. Oh, okay. Okay. Since you brought up Khalil Tate, um, everybody knows that Khalil Tate is a member of Ralph Amsden's family. His, his name Khalil <laughs> Tate Amsden. And Ralph has defended him to the hilt his entire career. He tried to get, when we first started doing this podcast, which is now, a year old and uh we hey happy give, happy give anniversary george yeah um <laughs> is like ralph tried to convince me from the beginning that khalil tate was some kind of uh transcendent pack 12 player and i was like <laughs> dude he was he was a one-hit wonder he was milli vanilli in a in cleats he had a good season and that was it he he wasn't a good passer I mean, truthfully, as a passer, I would probably take Tyler Huntley over Khalil Tate. It would be close. Okay. How, how about that? That's fair. That's your opinion. And and, and Ralph, um, and so Ralph was very confident that Khalil Tate could go on to be a good pro pro as well. But what was the news that you found out, Ralph? Well, he was released by the Eagles, and let's be let's be very honest here. The Eagles did me a favor because George, would you say that the Eagles gave Khalil Tate a fair shot to show what he could do at receiver? No, right? How, How? they haven't had practice? Exactly, exactly. So I that I now I've got another excuse. <laughs> so you built them all in. You're like, oh, well, see. See, see, look, it just justifies my point at this point. <laughs> the, yeah, but it's the truth. They did not give Khalil Tate. And, and are you telling me that you don't think that Khalil Tate could be a successful position player in the NFL? Uh, correct. You don't did, think so? Did you watch because, him play? Okay. He, he would have died in a pillow fight his last season at Arizona. He didn't want anybody to touch him. And playing a position in football, people have to touch you. So I don't know how that's supposed to work. But that he was trying to be a quarterback at the time. We have saw what he did his sophomore year. That exists. That's on tape. Listen, tape doesn't listen, lie. A broken clock is right twice a day, Ralph. That is all I know. 
okay, okay. Let's, let's ask how many broken clocks there are uh, at University of Colorado. <laughs> ask them how they feel about Khalil Tate. Well, listen, everybody gets, uh, I mean, that's a stat stuffer game. <laughs> the University <laughs> of College, okay. Colorado, anyway. Their defense has been trash since Jim Levitt left. Um, well, I guess it's time to get on to the seriousness, though, Ralph. We found out that Gavin Newsom um, is not letting kids back in school at least until the COVID numbers decrease for 14 straight days. And that trickled down to high school football being postponed until January 8th. It will kick off in California. And I think that that is going to set off a tailspin in recruiting because, so I got a chance to talk to Greg, Greg Biggins on a, on, on a radio show today and he said that he thought that the early signing period would still happen as is. And then you would have a ton of kids check in early um, and for kind of quote unquote forego their senior season. But you would still but then the NCAA may move the signing period back to March or April sometime around then for for that second signing period. So instead of February, bump it by two months? Yeah. Then, I mean, that there's going to be a lot of kids signing in December because you don't want to wait. Anything can happen in that extra two months, right? So, I mean, if you if you, if you you know where you're going, then lock it in. We already have guys like Akili Calhoun, who is a, uh, a Cal commit. Um, six foot four, two hundred and forty pound defensive end out of Brentwood. He's already said he's not going to be playing his senior year. He's just going to go ahead and graduate early and head to Cal. Victor Ivaca, who was someone everyone in the Pac-12 wanted, he's a massive defensive, um, kind of like a nose guard type position. He committed to Texas A&M. He said he's skipping his senior season, and he's going to head out there early. So we're already seeing a little bit of that. Um, and I know that uh, I think that Washington state just announced that they'll be playing later on. New Mexico is going to be playing later on in the year. Um, Utah and Arizona are kind of holding on to the idea that they're going to be able to play in the fall. And we'll see how that goes. I haven't heard much from Colorado yet. Um, but you know, Georgia bumped things a month. The bigger schools in Texas bumped things. Virginia's going spring. It's going to be a very, very interesting rest of 2020. When I, I tried to explain some of this to my uh, to my wife, who essentially, like, my wife works in operations, right? Her whole way of thinking is, like, how do we accomplish what we're setting out to accomplish? And she's used to dealing with broken situations, picking up the pieces, and finding the best way forward. And what she told me is, like, this is, this is unsustainable. They, we just need to hit pause for a whole year. And the more I think about it, the more, uh, the more I say, like, yeah, if, ki- if kids want to move on, if they want to skip their senior year, go ahead. But if we're going to have this just patchwork salvage job of high school athletics um, in in the fall and in the spring, maybe it would be best just to throw the brakes on for a full year, let everybody come back in the 2021-2022 school year exactly where they would have been. Uh, heading into this year and give them an opportunity to redo it. Hit a hit pause on the whole thing 
and and see if we can't have a year of just tutoring of getting people caught up in science and math and everything else that you know America's behind in obviously that's not going to happen and it's super idealistic but i just i hate the idea that these kids aren't going to thrive and they're not going to have the best of what should be available to them. It's all just going to be us trying to salvage something. It's all going to be patchwork. It's all going to be us trying to make the best of it. And a lot of people are going to fall through the cracks in the process. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering more, I guess, how the impact that this is going to have on recruiting overall, because there's a lot of people that believe that there's going to be a ton of decommits. I don't think so because, because if you've had Virginia, New Mexico, California push back their seasons, other States may do it as well. I mean, doesn't that make it more likely that if you're a kid, you're going to say, uh, let me lock my spot up and then check in early if possible because you know these college coaches are going to say, no, 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 you come over here in our program, we'll get you in the weight room, we'll coach you up in spring ball, and you're going to have a much better chance of playing in the fall than playing in, than if you come in over the summertime or show up during during fall camp. I think that I, I just don't see a lot of decommits, and I've just never bought into that because of the pandemic. Would you, I mean, shoot, if you, if, if, if let's say that, you know, you're on the Titanic, it hits an iceberg, um, you get the opportunity to get in a life raft, uh, with a bunch of other people, but then you see across the way, you know, there's a life raft with a little bit more room in it. You might be able to stretch your elbows a little bit. You going to swim through that ice cold water to get to that life raft with more room? Or are you going to respect the fact that you got a spot in the middle of a catastrophe? And I think that there's just a lot of kids who are going to stick this out. I think we'll see more transfers down the line. I, we've already seen a huge increase in it with the transfer portal, but I think that down the line it's just going to be that much more enhanced because people didn't get the opportunity to explore in the way that they thought they were going to be able to. Then again, maybe this is just a throwback to the days where you picked a school and you stuck it out because that was a situation that you were in. So, but, but I, I do not see a lot of people decommitting before signing day because having that spot locked up is the most important thing. I think, and I, I think that some recruiters that may in, in any other year get fired off of the effort that they've put in, um, and the, and the results that they've accumulated, I think you got to give them some grace because this is just, I mean, this is a wild, wild time. People aren't yeah. traveling. You can't reach out. They have to contact you. So the players you're most in contact with uh, are, the, are the ones who are, are the most proactive. Um, you're building relationships almost entirely over the phone, and a lot of people aren't even going to have senior tapes. So you're not going to see if they improved or are doing the things that you need them to. Plus, there's not a lot of those academic um, goalposts that they have to, you know, that they have to get through. Um along the way, a lot of that stuff's going to be forgiven. So, you know, you, you're going to have kids that come in possibly academically underprepared. Uh, yeah. It's, it's well, interesting situation, man. Yeah. I, I think that uh, one of the position, one of the teams that's going to be interesting to see how they do is USC. Like if this impacts Jake Garcia and Miller Moss, cause they have two top tier quarterbacks committed, which is, which is weird how it impacts Corey Foreman, who is the 
composite number one player. See, uh, see did you see his right. tweet? Yeah, yeah. Where he said, "If you're not, if you're going to make me choose between my senior season and checking into fall camp, I'm going to fall camp." So <laughs> he was basically saying, "Don't expect me to be playing in the spring. I will be checking into college." I mean, so I think that there are a ton of kids who who may opt out of the season, which would be a, and, and I think that that's going to, you know, kind of push up. Okay. Cause he was a kid that people thought was going to decide and sign in February. But I mean, how many kids are going to um, sign? I mean, well, it's going to push up the recruitment for all these kids, for all these top tier kids, these four high four and five star kids that were planning on making their decision in uh, February, they're going to be pushed up to that December signing date the way they can check in early. I, I I just see coaches mad dashing and scrambling at this point. And, you know, where a lot of these schools were like, oh, yeah, we, we, we have plenty of time to flip. We have all this. And Greg Biggins also said that – he did not believe that you would have any visits this year, that kids would be able to make any official visits at all. So some of them are going on their own dime. They're going to go visit schools and they're going to be relying on these virtual tours and sight and committing sight unseen essentially. Yeah. And let's be honest about the process that these kids go through five official visits and all of the celebration on social media and everything like that. You know, this is something that's turned off a lot of the old heads, I think. The process is exorbitant, and it's excessive, and it's a luxury. And it always has been, right? All of those things were an excessive luxury. Being able to go to five different schools all over the country on somebody else's dime and be wooed. And I've always personally been of the belief I'm not trying to be a wet blanket here. Um, I enjoy the process. I absolutely love fantasizing about the idea of like, what would I do if I had five visits today? You know, where would I go and how would I spend that time? I love thinking about stuff like that. But at the same time, it's hurt recruiting and it's hurt the overall experience of student athletes, just the, like the same way that it's almost impa- impossible every single cycle for the bachelor or the bachelorette to find love, right? Like you give me 20 good options and I'm going to have a hard time with the right one because yeah. I have 20 good options. And that's the way that recruiting has become. These kids aren't choosing between the a good thing and 10 bad things. They're trying to pick the best thing amongst 11 incredible things. This process has gotten so out of hand that you that that I'm, I'm not saying it's refreshing. I wish that we were not in this situation. This is terrible. But at the same time, like it can be done without all of the, the pomp and circumstance. It's how it was done for the longest time. And you could you could even go so far as saying that those people had a more fulfilling collegiate experience. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true too. Um, and also, uh, I forgot to note too, that Texas, they, um, that their high schools are starting sports late as well. Like they're, um, the five and six, eight teams, which are the biggest teams in Texas. They can't even start practice until September 7th. 
and now their regular season openers aren't going to be until September 24th. And then they're already going to have their, their state championship games are going to occur in January. So while you have California, everybody's pointing to that people aren't noticing that Texas has pushed stuff back, which may then get pushed back again. So it, it, there are so many recruits because initially when you had California shut down, you had uh, people wondering if um, the uh, the uh, kid JTT from um, Washington, who's the, the, the number one or number two player, depending on which site that you're on, they were talking about he may move to Texas to go play high school football. But now is that even a move? Because it may not happen. So he's a he's a basketball player too. Yeah. And so like he he's going to have to choose that this whole thing is is such a mess. And I, I feel really bad for the spring sport athletes who just lost a season and they're like, "Well, at least I'll have my senior year, but now you're going to stack football and basketball on top of their sport." Yeah, that so, sounds unreasonable. Yeah, this this whole thing's just a mess, which is why I'm started to kind of mentally entertain the idea that my wife sprung of like, let's just we didn't get this handled. Let's take a year to figure this out. And if the kids want to move on, they can move on. If not, and then we just bring everybody back in the same situation that the that 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 they were in. And it sounds unreasonable, but this whole situation is unreasonable. Yeah, and and you've also had a couple kids in recruiting reclassify. So, I mean, that's normally done in basketball where you will have a kid um, like, like for instance, you will have kids. Well, there's a lot of people wonder how are these kids graduating early? So some of them are, are holdbacks who were either repeated sixth or eighth grade who have enough credits and they went to summer school as well. So they can, get out of school early so they can re reclassify that's done more in basketball, but you are starting to see some of that take place in football as well. And that's affecting a lot of the recruiting as well. So if you guys follow some of the recruiting sites, that's why North Carolina has fallen from the number uh, two or three recruiting uh, in the recruiting rankings all the way down, you, you know, five, five, six spots because they, they lost their five-star recruit to the 2020 class. Well, like, and when has when, when has your senior year of high school never not been a joke? Even for non-athletes, going back as long as I can remember, your junior year is the tough one, and senior year you get to kind of coast, right? That's why people get senioritis because there's not really anything to to focus on. It's no longer you're, you're no longer in an ascent. Um, and so, you know, if you take high school seriously, you could be done in three, especially if you take two summer school sessions. You know, my, my senior year, I was doing nothing. I was, you know, I, I, I dropped out of high school my senior year, but in the, in the, uh, in the two months that I was there before I took the, uh, took the GED, uh, on a, on a dare <laughs> and, and passed it, um, I had like three prep periods and PE. You know, I was I was out of stuff yeah. to do, and that that's most students in that situation. And so it's not that difficult. Um, you know, a lot of athletes have maybe a more difficult time because they're focusing on other things, which doesn't allow them to to graduate on time. But now a lot of these schools that when they're recruiting you, I know for a fact that ASU is one of them that goes up to athletes and says, "Hey, you will increase 
your standing as a priority on our recruiting board if you can graduate in the spring. So that, that's been the game plan for a lot of these athletes from the moment they started getting college attention their freshman and sophomore years. Can you angle to be done in January? And now you have a bunch of people who were angling to be done in January whose season isn't even going to start until after they graduate? Yeah. That is bizarre, dude. That is absolutely bizarre. Um, and I think that this is all trickling down, not, okay. So in addition to the, to the recruiting and all that aspect, it's also trickling down to the colleges because the colleges are directly impacted by, by Gavin Newsom's, uh, uh, his, his rulings and, and his, um, his mandates throughout the state, where schools aren't opening well, high schools and middle schools, elementary schools aren't opening private or public until there are 14 consecutive days of, of COVID number declines. And so that's kind of trickling over into colleges. And we saw today that Cal decided that they were going to go to all online classes and that was one of the things that people wondered, okay, if you, if the schools are only going to have online classes, how does that then translate into football players being able to be on campus and making, well, and playing ball? Because I think that COVID has really exposed what we all knew, which is this is about the money. It's not about the goodness of amateur sports and the purity of college football and the purity of amateur sports. No, it's about the money. They want the revenue. And because if it were about anything else, if you aren't going to have students on campus, then, then the football players are student first and athlete second. So why would they be on campus? Right. And let's be really clear. This is a different kind of greed. This isn't like we're we've got the American spirit, therefore we need to continue to expand and innovate and increase. It's not like that. It's that we have a system in which it's dollar in, dollar out. Therefore, everything is based on this swollen one year at a time budget. And even though you can build this enormously successful business, it's all fragile. It's all in quicksand because one year and it all goes, it, it, it all goes away. It all goes to complete garbage because you're, you're making 10 times, 20 times, 50 times what you were making 15, 20 years ago, but you can't put any of it away for a rainy day. You have to spend all of it. And so you set yourself up to have this enormous swollen budget based on the money that you're expecting to come in. And all of a sudden that money can't come in. What do you do? So we've, we have created this mess through, and, and I think that this might accelerate some of the inevitability of detaching athletics completely, perhaps even setting up its own like LLC or something that's loosely affiliated with the school but isn't necessarily completely tied to it academically. 
And I think that's the direction that we've always been headed as the million dollars became $10 million, became $100 million, became us talking about billions, right? Because that's not the reality of college life outside. And now you also have colleges that have been updating technologically along the line year after year after year. And all of a sudden, every single one of these colleges is prepared to be fully online, yet they've invested tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, billions in the cases of of some of these schools in buying land and building buildings and updating their infrastructure. When the fact of the matter is those things were slowly becoming obsolete the entire time. They were investing money into a system that was going the way of the buffalo. So we're going to find out that, you know, not only... Are we comfortable with the idea, if it gets us sports, of having sports be separate from the student-athlete experience, but that the student experience doesn't even necessarily need to be what it was as far as going to the university and having the, um, having the you know, in-classroom experience uh, that, that, that people traditionally assign to being in college? You know, we're finding out really quickly that a lot of these things aren't necessary. And I wonder if we're going to take the natural next steps, which is some of these schools selling off some of their land, selling off some of their buildings, recognizing that as long as as if, if you're cool with just the brand name being on your degree, but never having shown up on campus because you can do it online, are you willing to go ahead and do it that way? Maybe you can start your life a little bit earlier. Maybe you can start your career a little bit earlier. And then are we comfortable with, with athletes? Um, you know, who who are young, essentially being in a minor league instead of in in a college experience. And I think that people are sports starved enough where they realize that all of those ties that we thought were so precious um, pale in comparison to just our desire to have that competition there in in the first place. You know, we could be moving to a completely different landscape. This pandemic could be the catalyst for all sorts of radical changes. So buckle up. I've been saying that like everybody keeps saying, oh, we're going to get back to normal. Normal's done, bro. Like the, if, if you look at take take, for instance, the restaurant industry, which figured out that it was built on a house of cards as well, that you have so many businesses going out of business after one month and they've had to figure out a new model that you're going to have innovations that that cause, you know, businesses and industries to be able to thrive because the, the way that things were done previously, I mean, just, just look at before the pandemic brick and mortar businesses that weren't like professional services where you actually, like, if you were getting a massage, you were getting a haircut, like something where people had to touch you. Those businesses were already going under like brick and mortar because you could order online and now you're just figuring out a better way. So real estate, like where you had commercial real estate for some of these brick and mortar businesses, it's not as valuable as what it used to be. So well, it's what not did that I tell it's going to go away. We were having this conversation four months ago and you asked if it would be ridiculous to have 
games in front of no fans. And I think, you know, everybody who has a podcast or, or anything at the time was probably trying to wrap their head around the idea of these games being played without fans there. And I told you, not only could I envision that, but I could also envision some type of system existing in which we could add to the ambient noise of the situation from our own homes. And what did we have this week, George? Yep, you can but you can record your booze and cheers to be pumped into the stadium. It, it, nothing nothing is off limits. Anything can be tapped into or changed. You know, I I I always was a little bit leery of the fact that, you know, Arizona State was pumping 400 million dollars into updating a stadium in which every trend was showing that live sports were were rapidly decaying as a priority for the American consumer, you know, but at that, but that, that you have people who have been part of the situation for so long that are like, they're, no, of course we want adopters new. And they're yeah. late adopters. You either have to find a way that makes the stadium experience so unique. Like you, like you almost have to be forward thinking about the stadium experience for you to be ahead of it with your up, updates so but but with cal going online and all this um the uh, question is a a lot of people thought okay so i guess that's going to shut down the pac-12 season because because if you don't have students then you don't have classes then how can you play ball here is the reason why the pac-12 is not shutting down at this point in time because you have schools like oregon and washington they don't start school for 10 weeks so like conditions could be significantly different or better to where you can go and play ball which will which would be premature to shut down at this point in time. So while it is noteworthy that Cal is doing that and which means that you're likely going to have UCLA follow suit and then Stanford's going to make their own independent choice because A, they're a private school, and B, they are, you know, they have their own, uh, you, you know, specialists, epidemiologists, all of this that are that go to the smart guy school. Not well, and they, maybe they could redshirt people for the first time, <laughs> right? They might actually uh, act like a normal school, but um, yeah, so. The, the, the Pac-12, it still appears to be going on. But so when they went to conference-only schedules, they did it, what, two days, a day or two after the Big Ten announced it. And part of that was because of the non-conference matchups. You had Washington uh, playing Michigan, Oregon playing Ohio State. So those games were gone but do you think the conference made the right move into quote unquote going to conference only schedules if they even play or do you think it was premature and they should have been doing what the SEC Big 10 I'm sorry SEC Big 12 and ACC are doing trying to reschedule opponents and all that ah uh, it's so easy to criticize everything the Pac 12 does uh, we knew that they weren't going to be the leader. We knew that they were going to follow someone's example. Um, and so obviously the Big Ten made a move and then the Pac-12 made a move. And as somebody pointed out, I can't take credit for this. I, I just don't remember who said it at the time. But you have schools like, you know, um, 
you have your your FCS FBS pay games, and a lot of those are done in state. And uh, and somebody was just laughing at the idea of like, are you telling me that it's safer for Utah to travel to the state of Washington than it is to drive sixty miles to Provo? Are you telling me that NAU and ASU is not safe, but ASU going um, 500 miles to Salt Lake is, you know, so some of those didn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. So you're going to have no Colorado, Colorado State, even though those two towns are an hour from each other, but Colorado is going to be able to go to LA. So, you know, uh, that part of it didn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, but then again, you know, I'm on the outside looking in. Um, I, I don't know if it was about saving money for the pay games and don't we have somebody suing one of the schools? Yeah. Was it Portland state or somebody like that? Somebody's pissed. Somebody's yeah, pissed. Yeah, that they're not yeah, getting paid. Yeah, Cause they want the money. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, I don't know. It's so easy to criticize almost everything the Pac-12 does. I, I almost want to give them a pass on this just because it's another conference made the move which eliminated, it broke a couple of the games that the Pac-12 had scheduled. And it's probably easier to just say we're going all conference than it was to try to get those things scheduled. Then that hurts a bunch of the Mountain West schools. That hurts BYU. That hurts a bunch of these other teams who were hoping um, to, to, to get a game in and get a payday. And, and then they're having to figure stuff out now. Um, and so... You know, it just put everybody in kind of a in kind of a weird spot. And then to not to have the Pac-12 not come out and commit to uh, everybody plays everybody has been the most frustrating thing. Because if we're going to do this, then let's play everyone. Yep. Everyone should play everyone. That's I I don't understand the I logic behind bro, not doing that. It's because it's dude this. Do you know who's not trying to do that? The the SEC, they're still trying to play eight conference games. Like, dude, you you cowards! I I just cannot, for the life of me, make sense of just 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 get your games in. You want to get ten games in? It's very important. Play your nine. I mean, play if you can play ten conference games because everybody can except for the um except for the big 12 because they only have 10 teams. But if you can play 11 games, play 11 games. If you can play 10, play 10. You want to get the maximum amount of games. This George, would you rather have, um, I mean, I know where I'm at a hundred percent on this, but I'm really curious as to what, what you think. Would you rather have 11 games and a conference championship or nine games and a postseason? Depends on who's in that postseason. Are my are are my ducks nine and nine and oh? Then yeah, I do would like to see them go to the college football playoff. Yeah. I, I would see- rather have I would rather have eleven games and then just say the conference championships for all the marbles this year. Ooh. I I would be okay with that. I would be okay with that too. B- because you're gonna have so many asterisks and so much like I am less convinced. All right. So 
I'm less convinced about the 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 viability of seasons because the further that we get into October, no November, December, what are we running up on, Ralph? Flu season. No, we're running up on flu season. Oh God, more diseases. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad, bad news, but it is what it is. Um, I want to see games and I want to see everybody play everybody. I, I do think that that's the optimal scenario. And yes, some of these, you know, Utah, BYU, they seem like very probable and easy to do games. I just think you just run a very, very big risk of being able to schedule. I do like the conference only because it does allow flexibility because the conferences can then reschedule and maneuver pretty quickly with open weeks and reshuffle games and all of that quicker than you can with teams that are outside of your conference. But I can't, I just want to guarantee that it's going to kick off. That way I can finally, you cannot get a guarantee, Ralph. I told you, believe it when you see it. I know. Baseball is supposed to start in two days and I still, I am convinced (laughs) that baseball is going to start. I am not convinced. I, I only believe at this point in time, because it's supposed to happen in two days, that baseball is going to play opening day. I don't believe any day past that. I mean, I'm living minute by minute here, buddy. I get that. I just want to know, am I mourning the out-of-conference schedule or am I mourning football altogether? Because I'm not going to sit down and cry <laughs> over no Utah, Wyoming, no North Dakota State, Oregon, I'm, I'm no USC, Alabama. You know, I'm 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 not going to sit down and 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 uh, listen to boys to men. You know, how do I say goodbye to yesterday until I know that that's the only thing we're losing? Yeah. <sighs> yep. Um, yeah. No, I, I just think you just got to just mourn one thing at a time. Um, I I do think, though. So here here's the thing with the loss of the non-conference games. Do you know who the biggest winner in all of this has been? University of Southern California. Yep. USC. USC went from t- uh, two losses two two for pretty much for sure losses to Alabama and Notre Dame. So they increased their win percentage for sure. Because if you take two losses off, your win percentage is going to skyrocket when you only played 12 games to begin with. So, so now, presumably, you know, like their their schedule looks a lot more manageable because if you looked at it, their games looked extremely difficult at uh, at Oregon uh, against Alabama and then against Notre Dame. Those looked like monument that it would take Herculean Herculean efforts to win those games, and now you got Clay Clay Helton, who we found out basically has an entirely guaranteed contract. I mean, like nobody was like, what the hell was Lin Swan doing? Playing golf. He came off a five and seven season, and you gave the man a pay raise and a new a guaranteed contract, not seventy five percent, a hundred percent. And now they can't fire him. He's recruiting better. So everything is quote unquote, but believably happy, but they, they won the lotto, bro. They won the lotto by 
escaping their non-conference games. Uh, Which and, one are you most upset about? Wait, what what game are you most upset about losing? What? Oregon, Ohio State. I mean, besides I would, the obvious. Oh, uh, besides that, Michigan, Washington, for sure. Yeah. I, and, and, and everybody knows that I hate the stinking dogs, but I was rooting. I'm a back to Pac-12 guy. So this, d- despite the Washington-Oregon rivalry, if you play out of conference, I'm in. I am in. I've written about it. We've talked about it on this podcast. I am back to pack guy. And if you are not, I will fight you over it. Verbally, at least. I'm uh, Utah, Wyoming was one that I had circled on the calendar. Why? What? Never never mind. Because you because you love Utah. Well, and they came from the Mountain West. And that was that. I won't say it was a rivalry because it was all Utah all the time. But it got it got pretty it got pretty heated, and so uh, you know I, I was I was looking forward to the the reprisal of that, and it was in Laramie. And you remember they beat Missouri last year in in Laramie, and it, it would have been a, one of the earlier looks at at Utah. And I'm super curious about what they're going to look like. But the one that I'm mourning the absolute most, kind of an off the radar game, Todd Graham returns to Tucson. Oh, I, that Hawaii that was going to yeah. That it was his last regular season game was against University of Arizona. And then he did coach the bowl, but then his first game back was going to be against University of Arizona. And I thought that was going to be, I mean, that I, you know, could have been a blowout loss for Hawaii, but I just was going to be super entertained by the return of the return of Todd Graham and the fact that it was happening in Tucson. Um, like that's, that was, I was going down for that one. And, uh, and I'm, I'm bummed about missing that. Yeah, and that and that Texas Tech Arizona State game was I, I thought would have been a good matchup as well. Thought that was thought that would have been good. I think um, it was Arizona though, right? Oh was yeah, it Arizona yeah, yeah. or Arizona State? No, it's Arizona State, right? No, 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 no. But because I don't think Ari- so, and it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's over anyway. It yeah. is over. <laughs> um, but Ralph, guess what time it is? It is time. For your favorite new game in mind on the Pac-12 Apostles, it is time for Start, Sit, and Cut. This is where we decide to start an item or a thing or a person, sit one, and cut one. And today we have two topics. The first topic is baseball movies. So this is our new feature. You guys have asked for it. It seemed to go well, except for I got berated about a fantastic take about chocolate and peanut butter being terrible together. But, um, but wait, when? At what point in your life did you learn that you had no taste buds, <laughs> dude? Butterfingers, Reese's Pieces, and Reese's peanut butter cups have always been horrible to me. From there. Has never been been a time. Oh, and on a do side you like, note, do you like to sugary too, peanut butter? Like, huh? So like a peanut butter cookie, no chocolate chips, nothing like that. Just Who peanut would butter eat cookie. A peanut butter cookie. Are you kidding me? It's the best thing in the world. No, we will then. Then we we know what we have to rank next. Do next. you not like peanut butter? No, like, I love peanut itself? butter. I love peanut butter. What? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, you confused now. 
No, 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 no. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm understanding my wife's frustration now because I just told her the other day that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it doesn't matter what kind of jelly. What? Because Are peanut butter serious? overpowers everything, and so it doesn't matter. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And she has been talking to me like I'm an idiot ever since I said that, and now I'm understanding where she's coming from when I have to deal with you not understanding that peanut butter and chocolate go together. Okay, so start. So, so we will we will have to rank cookies next next week because I will blow your mind. With, I'm excited uh, to do that. that. Yeah, with with that one, C- cookies and sweets because uh, you will get another take from me that you will probably make your head explode. Um, so <laughs> starts it cut best baseball m- movies. Which baseball movie are you starting, Ralph? Starting, yeah. Um, or actually, or, or or would you like to do cut first? Well, if <laughs> we can we can go cut. Uh, I'm gonna I'm going to cut uh, Major League Three. Anything after Major League Two should not have ever existed, and even Major League Two is suspect. Not bringing back Wesley Snipes. Um, but Ma- Major League Three, I've got a massive problem with because first of all. We don't want a minor league baseball movie. We didn't ask for it. We don't need it. Um, and and second of all, like the plot is that Roger Dorn owns the Twins. And I know that there's rumors that Kevin Garnett's going to try to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves and that A-Rod took a shot at the Mets. And yeah. I know that Michael Jordan is the majority owner of Charlotte. But Roger Dorn... You think he had the cheese? He was playing past his... He, he had to be in it for the money. He was playing past his prime for the money. We're supposed to believe that he that had enough still, money to buy the Twins. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> there should not have, There just should not have been a Major League movie past two. And even then, I'm an Omar Epps fan, but I, I no Wesley Snipes kind of bothered me. They should have just made it a different character. They shouldn't have... Um, yeah, they would have yeah, been fine to do that. It should have been like his cousin or his kid or something. Yeah, um, you can't replace Willie Mays Hayes with with a, with an imitation, dude. They tried to pull a Fresh Prince of Bel Air and go from dark skin up Viv to, to, to light skin up Viv. <laughs> it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that one, uh, anything after Major League Two is cut forever. Um, I am cutting. Field of Dreams. It is a it's it's a good movie. If you build it, they will come. But it's a movie that you only really need to see one time. So after you see it, you get all emotional, like you feel good good about it. You put it away. It, it's not a movie that you need to see more than one time. So I am cutting a Kevin Costner and Field of Dreams, despite I believe it being a good movie. I don't need to see it again. Like if Field the Dreams is on, I am not watching it again. But the but there are plenty of other baseball movies that I would happily watch again. I would watch 42 a billion times. I would watch the Bad News Bears before I watch that. I I mean there are countless baseball movies that I will watch before I watch Field the Dreams again, Ralph. Uh, Field of Dreams, most misquoted movie of all time. And you even did it. You even did it. 
Uh, it's if you build it, he will come. The assumption was always because it was like people will come and watch baseball here, but it was his dad would come back. I think, right? Um, actually, but the exact. I'm, let me tell you what the exact quote is. Okay. It is if you build it, he will come. Yeah, I've you only are, ever heard people right. say, way to, "Way to go, smart guy! Way to well, go!" But I've because I've only ever heard people say, "If you build it, they will come," and I'm like, I don't think that's from the movie. Correct. It, it has to be the most. The fans. Yeah. Yeah, because if you if you said if you build it, he will come. People would be like, "What is that?" Like mm. that's how misquoted it is. That's how ingrained in just the yeah, like zeitgeist they just, of like people have culture. just changed the entire movie. Okay, so who are you? What are you sitting? I'm gonna sit angels in the outfield, uh, <laughs> because while. I have fond memories of that movie. It does not stand up to the test of time. Um, when I was a kid, I definitely glossed over the foster care portion of the plot. Now, as a dad, knowing that the entire plot was predicated on um, uh, on Roger Bowman and his friend JP in the foster care system, Roger asking his dad when they'd be a family again. And his dad said, I'd say when the angels win the pennant and that God intervenes because of this kid's misguided prayer of the fact that he has a deadbeat dad. Like as a father now, that whole plot setup is horrifying to me. (laughs) Dude, when you put it like that, when you really break it down like that, yeah, that is horrendous. Like, like the kid's just trying to get his deadbeat dad back, and his dad gives him such an outrageous take that he doesn't think can happen. So he's like, "Yep, cool. I've put him up in a position where he can't win." Yeah. So at ten years old, at ten years old, I was like, "Man, what a great inspirational movie." At thirty-six years old. I sat through it pissed off the entire time. And then at the end of the movie, I was angry at God like that. (laughs) That should never be your reaction to a Disney film is, is, is anger at the creator of heavens and earth. I'm, I, I'm, so I'm sitting this movie. It was good at the time, but Oh my goodness. And, and, and it's still the best sports movie that Tony Danza's, ever been in uh no disrespect to the uh philadelphia uh garbage man kicker movie that he was in um and it's always good to see christopher lloyd in anything but yeah i can't i can't do this movie anymore yeah i am sitting moneyball i'm sitting moneyball because it like it Showed the analytics in baseball. Brad Pitt did a great job. All of that. It was almost like a documentary. But Moneyball doesn't win. Like Moneyball does not win championships unless you cheat like the Astros did. So um, yeah, so I'm I'm out on money moneyball. Partially I'm sitting moneyball because I'm a bitter Dodgers fan and it doesn't work. So that's why I'm sitting it. Uh, who are you give me, starting? Give me this real quick, though. Since I sat Angels in the Outfield and you sat Moneyball, which movie had the better cast? Oh, Angel, Angels in the Outfield. 
You think so? Because he, Moneyball got nominated for a bunch of awards, right? You got Brad Pitt, one of the best actors of all time. You got Jonah Hill as an up-and-comer. Chris Pratt. Ooh. So, I mean, but then you look at Angels in the Outfield. Uh, Matthew McConaughey was an outfielder. Yep. Adrian Brody was on the team. So you got two Oscar nominees. Um, oh, yeah, bro. And, and, and you, yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt was the main character and look and what you got, he grew up to do and you got danny glover christopher yeah. lloyd come on man it, that that's back to the future and and a lethal weapon yep sorry i i gotta go there um who are you starting uh mr 3000 <laughs> what mr 3000 is the with most bernie slept mac? on baseball movie mm, I, with bernie mac I'm so I'm a massive, massive Bernie Mac fan. And uh and it, it just seemed like something that could legitimately happen. Like a diva athlete, uh st- struggling team to where like, yeah, we'll we'll bring him back. Um it just it it seemed realistic to me. It was funny. Um it just deserves more recognition than it got at the time. And uh, I just I'm, I miss Bernie Mac, and this wasn't him at his absolute best, um, but it showed that if more people were willing to take a chance on him, put him in in these feature film roles, that he could do some pretty good work. And uh, just the plot of the plot of retiring at three thousand hits, building an entire business uh, empire on the fact that you got three thousand hits, and then having it come up that you actually never got there. Uh, and having to come back and then going hitless in his first like 27 appearances and then never getting to 3000. Like I just, I, I love the idea for them. I thought it was a super creative thing. Um, it didn't make a lot of money in the box office, but I feel like it definitely needs more love than it got. I'm so ashamed of you, Ralph. I, I've said shame you twice. I love Bernie Mac, but Mr. 3000, how did you miss so many like great movies? I am going because to start. Everybody knows those movies are great. Everybody I am going knows. to start the best baseball movie there is, period, hands down. There is no argument about this. The Sandlot. The Sandlot is by far the best baseball movie. How on Rotten Tomatoes it's further down the list is absolutely asinine to me. It is one of the most quotable movies. You play ball like a girl. <laughs> um, some Somebody named Baby Ruth signed it. Dude, this is absolutely one of the best baseball movies. It It's nostalgic. It's funny. Adults still can watch it. And there is no reason why they should have ever made a Sandlot 2. I'm going to go there. Yeah. I mean, that's a movie about friendship with baseball in it. Um, but I'll give it to you that that's that to me, that's a top 10 movie ever made. It stands up. It's, uh, the cast is awesome. Um, the fact that like the one kid from the neighborhood made it is super relatable. Uh, the, the, the whole kid not knowing the baby Ruth, I identified with small so much in that I would just pretend in order to make friends and then you get exposed. But the fact that like, kids are super forgiving you know as long as they can give you crap about it they're happy to have you around and have somebody to play with um the puking when they tried uh chewing tobacco that's definitely something i went through um 
Yeah, no, it's a that's a perfect movie. Yeah, I totally agree. So with our start start sit cut today, um, our first thing was the baseball movies. Ralph's clearly off base with with his, but uh, our second topic for start sit cut is Pac twelve offensive player of the year. Um, yeah. This is, I, I know we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast from different places in the Pac-12. Some of you are going to be very upset right now. So if you do, hit us hit us up. Tell us how you feel. There's even a link to leave a voicemail um, Yeah, if you need to, and we will play it on the podcast if you would like. So who are you cutting for Pac-12 Player of the Year? Offensive Player of the Year. I'm cutting your running back, man. I think I just I think I, I think that it's the most. Is it Verdell? Yeah, that's not that's not that's not a good because he might get there. I mean, yeah, he and he doesn't have to worry about going up against the 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 Bison defense, North Dakota State. Oh so Lord, nobody's got worried that. about their defense. <laughs> I think that because he is the statistically the best um, returning running back, I think all eyes will be on him, but I think all eyes will be on him as far as um, the defensive game plans as well. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think C.J. Verdell – I think C.J. Verdell repeats his production. I don't think that he blows up. You know what I'm saying? So, like – I don't. I don't want to disrespect his talent, yeah. At all. I just think that it's going to be more of the same, and I don't think that's going to be enough to win Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Hmm. That brings me to my cut uh, guy. It's going to be unpopular because we have some Sun Devils who listen to this, and I'm cutting Jaden Daniels. As far as a Pac-12 player of the year candidate. And the reason why is for the same reason why you said about CJ Verdell. He passed for 2,900 yards, 17 touchdowns, two interceptions. That's not going to cut it. That's not even going to get you even remotely close. You're, I mean, he would, he's going to have to at least double his touchdown output to even get close and the team is going to have to be probably win the Pac-12 South for him to win it. And I don't see that happening either. So I'm cutting Jaden Daniels as my as the Pac-12 player of the year, offensive player of the year for 2020. OK, yeah, I'm, I don't I don't really have anything to say about that. I, I think that if he repeats his performance from last year, I think it sets him up for a, for a big, for a big junior year. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of hype surrounding Frank Darby, his number one receiver. And that's, that's really for me what it's going to come down to. Cause he's going to have a lot of young guys who, who flash, but he needs somebody consistently there for him. And they expect Frank Darby to be that guy. And I haven't seen it yet to me. He's your nine route deep ball threat and they need him to be everything. And I'm just, I I need to see it. I mean, I have ASU players telling me personally every couple of weeks, he's going to blow up. They said the same thing about Brandon Ayuk and I didn't really listen 
Um, but I think Ayuk has maybe more of the well-rounded skill set to have done what he did. Um, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to get Darby the ball 70, 80 times. I just don't see that. And if they, he can't get Darby the ball 70, 80 times, I don't think that he's going to blow up this year. I think he's still going to have a very good year, but yeah, I'm so I, I don't have any issue with you, with you going that direction. Okay. Who are you sitting? I think I am ready to cash in my chips on um, Amon Ross St. Brown. I thought he was going to be the next great Pac-12 wide receiver. Surefire first round pick. He was just so physically dominant in high school. And he, I don't know, I, I just... I'm hearing a lot of things about how he's supposed to um, finally step into that role and really take over. Um, And I think that it would have been within reason to say, like, if he met his expectations coming in, because I think he's a five-star recruit. If he met his expectations coming in and they're running this air raid, and if he was able to just destroy all of the Pac-12 defensive backs that he was going to face, there's some talented defensive backfields out there this um, th- this year, ASU and Oregon, you know, amongst them, and then Cal and Utah have shown us what they can do. Um, I don't, I do not think that he's going to live up to the hype. So I'm, 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 I'm sitting him. I'm sitting the idea that he could have uh, a, a breakout year where he is the Pac-12 Player of the Year. I will agree with you. I will agree with you. I mean, he was dominant in high school, but it's just not turning into that right now. I think he's a, I think he's talented that he can be a game breaker. He just hasn't been dominant. Like it's not like we're 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 watching you know Woods or some of these other USC wide receivers who you, Marquise Lee, who they would just feed the meter. Like you know he was going to catch the ball ten times a game, and there was nothing you could do about it. And I don't see him doing that. Um, I am sitting a guy that, and I'm sitting him not because I don't think he can win. I'm sitting him because I think he's a dark horse. And that's your boy, Chase Garbers. I am in on Chase Garbers. Ralph is still needs to be a believer. He is my version of uh, Khalil Tate, if you will. Um, I will adopt him into my, into my family um, and we know from last year, uh, Ralph adopts bad quarterbacks and I adopt the good ones because 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 he got Jacob Eason too last year. Um, I think the Chase Garbers took a big step last year. His maturity, his accuracy is overall good quarterback play. And he is a dark horse Pac-12 offensive player of the year candidate. So I'm going to sit him comfortably in the second spot right now. Okay. Um, I, I actually thought about, I thought about starting chase Garbers. However, you did. I, I did. I thought about it. Yeah. He was, he, he, he was my, my, my one B um, in, and uh, I, I'm really comfortable going with my one a, because if, if he 
continues uh, the trajectory that he had last year in spot duty, he could do some very, very special things. And if he's good, his team might be good, and no one expects his team to be good. And so if his team's good, it's just all the shine's going to head his way, and that's Davis Mills. I am starting Davis Mills as a potential Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He completed 66% of his passes in just eight games last year through 11 touchdowns. If they open this offense up, people forget, and we mention it on this podcast all the time, the number one recruit in the country. That's who Davis Mills was. And if he lives up to um, those expectations heading into his senior season, I think that uh, I, I think I, I, for one, will say that I at least was not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can, I, I can go there. I can go there. Um, the guy that I'm starting is Panay Sewell. I'm starting Panay Sewell. Would they give it to him? That's, that's my question. Is that the dude, is that there was some, you know, whispers about it last year. I mean, and truthfully out of the candidates last year, you had Zach Moss, Tyler Huntley, and nobody else was so spectacular. Like I thought that if anybody was going to win Pac-12 Player of the Year last year that wasn't a running back or a quarterback, that Panesul should have won last year. Because Tyler Huntley was just, yeah, he, was, he was a game manager, wasn't special. Zach Moss had he was a, a Heisman year. candidate. What are you talking about? Yeah. Who Tyler Huntley? Oh man, stop! I, Do you I know. not remember the Heisman campaign? Oh yeah, exactly. That was a terrible move, and then Zach Moss ended up winning. It, it just it just wasn't a you know one of those banner years for a skill position player. So, and I think that Panay will actually generate some buzz because people talked about it last year. And I think the people were just so high on Utah, which turned out to be, you know, they, they should have sold, sold high and bought bought low on them um, at the end of the year. So, yeah, so he is the guy that I'm starting for Pac-12 Player of the Year because he is the best player in the conference right now. I want to know who I need to bribe to uh, for Utah to turn the keys of the offense over to TJ Green. Because I know, I know he's not like directly in line to be. I, I but I promise if they give him a shot, he could do. I just uh, there, there's a couple guys from Arizona on that team that I love, and uh, T.J. Green's one of them. Solomon Enos is another. They, they got the talent to do some to do some stuff this year. Utah does, but I just don't know if the way they do things warrants that type of recognition. Like they had to manufacture this Heisman campaign for Tyler Huntley when he wasn't even. You weren't even the best player or most important player on that offense. Yep. So, you know, I uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think and then there's some other sleepers that could find a way. I mean, wh- what if Jebbia blows up in that Oregon State offense? I mean, there's... They won't win enough games for him to win Pac-12 player of the year. Yeah, that's fair. And then we got, we got, we got DTR. Um, you know, Jaden Daniels is... You and I could both be wrong about him. This could his breakout year could come as a sophomore instead of. I mean, it's all a breakout year, right? I mean, he had his breakout year already as a freshman, but we're talking like if for him to equal some of the stuff that he did at, in high school, where he was just 
treating the record books like toilet paper. And then, I mean, what if Ethan Garbers wins that job at Washington and he's as efficient um, or even half as efficient as he was um, as a high school senior? You know, the truth is there's just so much we don't know. But I I would be willing to bet that if if uh, that if it came down to giving it to a quarterback or an offensive lineman, that they're probably not going to give it to the O lineman, even though he's the best player in the conference heading into next year. That's I I think that's inarguable. He is the best offensive player, Panay Sewell. Yeah, heading into next year, he's the. the, If we held a Pac-12 draft, which maybe we should do, we got time. Um. If we held it, he'd be the first pick. Yeah, it, no question. And and if he comes out and dominates again, he could be the two-time Outland Trophy winner, which would definitely cement him as one of the best offensive linemen and players in the history of the Pac-12, which would be absolutely crazy to do in three years. Um there was a huge story though. Well, actually, quick quick piece of news. Um, I was uh something came up on the feed. The state of Washington has pushed their their high school football season back to the spring. That just came along the wire and not like January where uh uh California said theirs is in quote unquote season 3 which will be going on in around Feb end of February, March time. So, yeah. So that's when Washington is supposed to play high school football. So, yeah. So there's that. Um, So there was a huge piece of news that got circulated, sort of, kind of, but it got picked up. Because uh, former Pac-12 quarterback Rudy Carpenter, I'll let Ralph tell to tell the entire story, but <laughs> he is he's very well connected in the Pac-12. He has con- um, he's trained a ton of uh, re- uh, quarterback recruits. He and so that means that he knows some of the wide wide receivers too. You know, he is. Well, can would you would you agree with that? Very well connected in the Pac-12 community. Very well connected, yes. And he sent out a tweet, which I'll let Ralph d- describe to you. Well, um, <laughs> I, it, anything that I say about our friend Rudy Carpenter uh, is going to be probably taken through the lens of me not necessarily getting along with Rudy Carpenter. And me having blocked Rudy Carpenter on Twitter because the last time we were on the phone together, he uh, he 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 threatened my life a couple of times. But he's a fiery guy. Uh, he played that way, and he has he's stayed that way. He's just passionate, quite passionate. Um. So, uh. But basically, what what Rudy said was that a coalition of fifty players aqu- across all twelve Pac-12 teams was being put together to bring a list of demands to the Pac-12 that included like better COVID testing, a 50-50 revenue split, um, and and six years of insurance post-graduation, and some just like just stuff they're never going to get, right? Um, which made the tweet 
you know, alarm bells rang because if they expect to get a 50-50 revenue split when it doesn't have anything to do with the conference, when that's NCAA rules on amateurism, you know, then there's not going to be a football season. So immediately you see Rudy Carpenter say that a, a coalition of 50 players is being put together, spearheaded by Cal players, um, that is demanding all these things or they're going to sit out the season, then your immediate read of that is, well, then they're going to sit out the season because they're not going to get a revenue split from the PAC 12 because that would require a changing of NCAA rules. Regardless, the insurance thing is an interesting thing to bring up, but you picked a weird season to hold hostage because there might not be a season at all. Um, and, you know, and then the COVID thing, COVID testing thing, you know, we've seen um, protests, coordinated protests from NFL players to ensure that more was done to take care of their safety. And that's an ongoing process. So it's understandable that the players would try to exercise some of their, you know, newfound uh, power to organize, um, to look out for their own best interests. Uh, but here's the thing. Rudy is the only one that tweeted this. Uh Wilner's on vacation, and even since he's come back, I don't—I hadn't seen him say anything about it. Every article that I saw online about this all cited Rudy's tweets and only Rudy's tweets. So you and I also have connections all over the Pac-12, and I reached out to Cal players, parents of players, coaches all over the Pac-12. I hit probably 30 different sources. 29 of them had no idea what I was talking about. One of them said that he had a roommate who had heard secondhand that something like that was going on. So that was the first com- confirmation of any kind that I got that a conversation had even taken place, which verifies Rudy's account in one instance that it was going on, but not in another instance, which was that they had a coalition of 50 players across all 12 teams. And then I had a parent of an Oregon State player reach out to me and say, my kid was approached about something like this, um, but, you know, he he doesn't he doesn't know um, what he should be doing. He's he's just trying to lift and get ready for the season. So it's definitely a thing at Oregon State. It was definitely a thing at Cal. And we find we found out even more so that it was a thing at Cal because, you know, after I tweeted that, you know, Rudy has a lot of connections Um, and I haven't been able to verify his very direct claims, but you can't dismiss what he's saying outright. Uh, Rudy through you forwarded a message from a Cal player that was asking him to delete his tweets because it would hurt their efforts. And so Rudy actually, and, and I mean, he didn't cross that player's name out. So we know that it's a Cal senior who is at least part of some type of committee, um, to to have these conversations. I think what I ran into is the thing that Rudy presented as being an organized effort was actually so deep in its infancy that the mere tweet from Rudy Carpenter might have derailed the entire thing, which is why you don't see any other journalists anywhere else reporting on this being a solid organization of players who are all approaching the Pac-12 with a with a um specified list of demands, which still could happen in the future, but hasn't happened yet. I think that um, Rudy essentially broke a story before it was a story, which changed the future outcome potential uh, for that story. And so, you know, um, 
and, and Rudy's in a situation where he's also the trainer of some of these kids, which is readily available. He tweets at these kids all the time. It's not like I broke any news saying that he trained, you know, Cal's freshman quarterback or anything like that. Um, but, you know, it puts him in sort of a weird spot as media and somebody who has a relationship with the players uh, in that, you know, it, it, it makes it seem like that might be what his sources are or whatever. But, I mean, you can definitely trust that he's plugged in at least in some way to most of the programs in, in the Pac-12. So I'm not disparaging Rudy or what he well, the news he broke or, or anything like that. I think he just got to it a little early, which made it less valid. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and so I am speaking, um, I'm testifying actually in front of the Senate Ju- Judiciary Committee tomorrow um, on name, image, and likeness. Um, and one of the things that we're going to be talking about is, you know, s- some of these financial issues. And one of them specifically is about the well the the schools are in a p- position with these huge budgets to where like they can't even really afford to really pay the students and keep up doing what they're doing and now be in a position to save money too so the optimal solution is not for the schools to be able to pay the the players it's to be able to have the players make their own money which makes more sense because then they're not employees, all of this stuff, and they can actually um, union not 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 even unionize, but there will be a uh, there is okay. So the Players Association has a group licensing partnership called One Team Partners, and they want to represent college athletes. And so they don't have to unionize. They would just negotiate licensing deals on behalf and then college players can just opt in or opt out of it. So so that would mean EA could then go make the video game again, NCAA, and then players can opt in and get their royalty checks just like players do in Madden. So that's how that would work. Um. And yeah, so, but I do believe that the insurance thing is something that players should push for, but in terms of a revenue split with the, with the conference, that just doesn't seem, that seems like something that you're going to end up legislating instead of trying to demand. Cause they're like the PAC 12 is already in a financial crisis and especially with COVID as well, you're going to have um, the and these non-conference games gone. You're going to have the Pac-12 at another significant uh, financial deficit because the Pac-12 networks are nowhere. You're in 18 million homes. And where the SEC network, uh, uh, Big Ten games, Big Ten Network, all they're everywhere, so people can watch them. That's more revenue. So the Pac-12 is going to be e- even in a bigger hurt. So trying to demand something that you don't have and that don't e- that they're not even legally able to do is a is a non-starter at this point. Yeah, 
And I, I mean, could colleges live on half of what they, they have now? Yeah. I mean, they did it just a few years ago. Um, do they want to? Absolutely not. They don't want to share a dime with these players. And what was interesting was to see the re- the reaction to this was split kind of down the middle where people said that they're spoiled brats for even trying to ask. And it's just another sign of the apocalypse and in, in, in the gimme generation that we're um, that, that, that we have enabled um, through giving them trophies for finishing seventh or whatever the whole thing is. And the other side of it was like, good, it's about time. And it's, it's interesting to see the amount of people that sort of have uh, that attitude. George, I have some late breaking news for you. Uh, that we did not discuss before hitting record on this podcast. So I'm interested to see what you think. Um, oh, Lord. Citing the rise of positive COVID-19 cases among people aged 20 to 39 in the state, New Mexico's governor has formally asked University of New Mexico and New Mexico state leadership to suspend football and other contact sports this fall. What do you think about that? Mm, I thought it was coming. I mean, I mean uh, are we going to see that in other places? Are we going to see that with Pac-12 schools? Wait, what? I are you going to have Gavin? Are you, are you, you think Gavin Newsom is going to turn around and ask California to not have college football? <clears throat> this stuff, all of this stuff is making my Last... wife seem super sane. Take a year off. Dude, the, people are going to have to run. I mean, tr- truthfully, they're going to have to run into a brick wall to to, to do something else. I mean, I, I don't even know what to. I, it is literally going to take getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer for anything to change. Because the money is so like the like it is. It is like. It is like when you watch a movie and you see the bad guy or the good guy, who whoever the whether it's the protagonist, whether he's an actual good guy or bad guy or whatever, the the pro, pro, protagonist is walking into certain danger, and you know, and he knows in his heart that this is a bad idea, but he feels like this is the only option that is possible for him to achieve his goal, and he still does it, and you know what the outcome is going to be. So I feel like that's where we are right right now, and people can hope and wish wish upon wishes and hope upon upon hope. But you know, I think your wife is very is very sane. So you know, we will see who's right and who's wrong. And I pray that I'm wrong. I am pray that I can come on here and say, you know, you know what, I was wrong about this. I should have been more optimistic. I should have been way more hopeful, Ralph. Um, and we're still, and like, I mean, we need, we need to very, like point this out. We're still dealing with potential life and death situations. You know, I, I, my entire week is filled with talking to parents who are like, do you, do you know how bad it is for our kids to not be in school? And I'm like, yes, I have four at home. You know, I, I schooled my kids all through the summer and I just got tired this week and I have let them sit around and do whatever they want for about five days in a row now. And they have turned into terrible human beings <laughs> right before my eyes, because I, the, the I just needed structure. a week off from yeah. giving them 
structure and I need to gather myself so that I can dive back into doing it. Cause who knows how long I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have them around, you know, and me be responsible for their, for their education. So yes, I'm, you know, I'm talking to all these parents and I'm like, yeah, I, I completely get it. Kids need to be in school. However, the, the people that I'm worried about are the teachers and because they are typically closer to that at risk age range and bracket. And I'm concerned for these coaches who essentially, in order to coach the team, surrender the privilege of being around some of maybe their family members, their parents, or whatever else. You know, they're giving up a lot in order to just coach. Um, and it, it just came, I just saw word cross my timeline that out here in Arizona, Chandler High School, which people might recognize as being the school that, you know, on the football end produced Nikhil Harry and Brett Hundley and Paul Perkins and, you know, Hamilcar Rashid and all the, all these other guys is football powerhouse. Um, but they're also a big time swim school and they've sent guys like Mark Jurek to USC and their swim coach, um, a, b- a beloved man, uh, coach Crosswhite, he just passed away of COVID. And that's the thing that I'm worried about is that a lot of these coaches are in more of an at, at risk age range. I think the kids will get over it. The college athletes will get over it. What are we going to do if we get football back together and someone on Chip Kelly's staff gets sick? You know, what, what how are we going to look at ourselves when all we did was bang the drum for football to come back? I'm, we're, I'm, I'm worried about those things. I want football more than anything except for the health and wellness of the people who produce the sports that we get to talk about. Yep. I a hundred percent agree with you, Ralph. Uh, it, I, I don't, I, I don't know. And I'm just, I'm tired of getting har- harped on for being the, uh, the, uh, the doom and gloom guy, you know, so we shall uh, see, we will leave it at that. Um, now it's time for our recruiting updates because this was a busy week. This was a busy, busy week from um, in the Pac-12 recruiting landscape. You have had multiple recruits from different um, from 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 different states. You have had teams move way up the rankings. The Pac-12's uh, recruiting, who had Cal had um, more five-star prospects. Then I'm sorry, four star prospects than every other team not named USC and Oregon combined. And now they have one less than every school. Cal has five four stars and you have used Washington with three UCLA with one Arizona state with one and Utah with one and nobody else has one. I think that's bad. It's probably it's probably not good. It's good for Oregon and USC. It's probably not good for everybody else. But at the same time, you have brought this up, George. How accurate are these ratings when we didn't get to see any of these kids this summer? That's a good question. I mean, we I, I think that we are going to see who's really watching film and who's watching rankings. Because yeah. the, the the coaches who really put in the time to, to find the kids that fit are very talented because you're going to need some – because some of those three stars are really supposed to be mid-four stars. Some of those four stars should really be bottom-tier four stars or high three stars. 
and you were going to see some of that movement in the summertime and during this season because the the longer and longer the recruiting rankings have been going, the more and more accurate that they have been been getting. Yes, two stars develop sometimes, three stars develop into superstars some, some sometimes, but where they were at that point in time, they are pretty accurate w- with where they are physically at at that time. So uh, what do we got this week, Ralph? Well, I figure I'll, I'll just run you through. I'll, I'll touch briefly on um, every Pac-12 team and what they have going on. I'll try to make it brief. There's not going to be a rhyme or reason. I'm not going to go alphabetical because I know that confuses you, George. So we'll <laughs> start at the you, bottom. Bro. Hey, now you're the one that admitted on this podcast. P.S. Admitting admitting on this podcast that that you that alphabetical order wasn't the way that you typically li- lived your life is now secondary to not liking peanut butter and chocolate. So at least you knocked that one down in the. In the rankings. Listen, um, you don't care about alphabetical order when your last name starts with W. How that's that? fair. I'm, I got the A last name, so I'm, that's the only thing I ever had to look forward to. Um, got to be the line leader every once in a while. Uh, so Washington State did just land a couple of players since we recorded our last podcast. I know we mentioned Jaden Hicks um, from Las Vegas uh, last week, I think, briefly. But they also just got David Gustav from San Bernardino, California. He's a 6'3", 250-pound defensive tackle. And they actually got a kicker uh, out of Melbourne, Australia. And his name is Nick Haberer. And so uh, they, they got the special teams locked up. Uh, when I look at Washington State's overall recruiting class, I know that one of the problems coming in um, for, for Coach Rolovich was that Mike Leach had burned a lot of bridges with the in-state recruiting scene up there. And uh, Rolovich did manage to get a pledge from uh, linebacker Ryan Kershaw out of Yakima and uh, Andrew Edson, a defensive end out of Snoqualmie in Washington. So they do have two in-state commits. I thought that with Rolovich coming over from Hawaii that he might have um, the ability to get some recruits from the state of Hawaii to come over to Wazoo. And he has not done that. They don't have any commits from the state of Hawaii. However, they have people from all over the map. They got a couple of kids from Texas. Um, obviously, the kid from Vegas. They got someone from Salt Lake. They have uh, one from down here in Arizona where I'm at, a few from California, and even one, Xavier Young, from Tallahassee, Florida. So what do you think about that, George? They've kind of taken a national approach. There's no no Hawaiian kids, and they've they've – uh, cracked open a little hole in that clogged pipeline into the state of Washington. I think that that's paramount, right? It's paramount to having a good program. I think is to be being able to pluck good talent out of your state, because if you are a talent rich state, then that that's mandatory. You can't just be just like letting people come in and poach out of your backyard. You have to, protect your you know what you have going because when you get big time recruits mind you if you're in california you know you're going to have some of the top recruits in the state every single year from northern and southern california well actually from the whole entire country but if you're washington oregon you're going to have higher years than other years arizona as well but like you need to capitalize on that like arizona state needs to do that in arizona 
Washington and Oregon, they try to do that with their with their states because it actually it actually is like the the kids from Arizona should dream of going to Arizona State or Arizona. Same thing with Washington. They should dream about being a Husky or uh, or a Cougar. Oregon, they should want to be a beaver or be be a duck. Like that should be their first dream. And then it should expand from, from there because if you are ingrained in the culture, then you are going to get some of these kids. Like it's going to be a layup. Because they're going to be like, man, I've been wanting to play for, I've been wanting to play for Arizona State my whole life. Like, and now I gotten got got an offer and it's a good situation too. I'm I'm in. You know what I mean? Yeah, you and you you brought up University of Washington, which has traditionally done a really good job in their own state. And the class of 2021 might be Washington's best in-state class ever. Uh, and they already have six kids in in the class of 2021 verbally committed to them from the state of Washington. Their most recent one, Owen Prentice, uh, as an offensive lineman out of Seattle, he's 6'4", 275. He gave his pledge uh, about about five days ago. And if you just look at their class overall, um, they've definitely got some size in some of their uh, their um, their recruits that they're bringing in. Uh, Robert Wersch out of Soquel, California, six foot seven, two hundred sixty pounds. They got a four star tight end, Quentin Moore out of Independence, Kansas, dude, six six, two hundred and fifty pounds, and they got a six six, two forty defensive end out of uh, Rancho Santa Margarita in California, and Maurice Himes. And so um, they they're doing good on size, and they're doing good in state. Comparatively, it's not the greatest class in the world, but they've still got a shot. Um, at a couple of big time kids that could make this a special class. So University of Washington seems to be doing well. Uh, let's move on to the Utes. Uh, this is this is rough to even try to digest. They've got six total commits. Um, the most recent commit that they 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 had was on July first. Uh, Diamikio Nathan, a wide receiver out of Grand Prairie, Texas. They do have a running back out of Tampa, Florida. So they kept that Florida pipeline going. And Ricky Parks, a 5'11", 200-pound, four-star running back. He's got Utah written all over him. Um, they've got a four-star quarterback out of Mission Viejo in Peter Costelli. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice foundation for a class, but when everybody else has between 12 and 17 commits, and you're sitting there at six when you um, were close to going to the college football playoff last year. Uh, it's not good. I, I don't know how they get better. It's on Utah to make the brand cool. Like they they don't seem to be doing anything to make the brand cool, and that's what I think the issue is. Um, who else? Do I we guess. Have? I mean, I guess I'd agree with you in that, like those kids have no problem going to Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln. I've been to Lincoln. It's, it's really not that, that, that bad. And it's not that far from Omaha, which is not terrible either. Let's talk about Stanford. Uh, they just got a verbal commitment from Mitch Ligber, an athlete out of Laguna Hills, California, six foot one, 200 pounds that he's the fifth member of their class. It is not a good class. It is not a deep class. Um, here's something that I do not have an answer to, and that is what are the academic leniencies 
doing for Stanford is the fact that they're Nada, private. Bro. Ooh. Nada. It's, it, dude, it's, I didn't even read, I don't think I've read an article where they said that they're even like going to stop using the, the SAT, the SAT and ACT. So, so yeah, they don't care. Why does every single thing that happens seem to adversely affect Stanford? Like, they are out there. They, Stanford is the fullback of the Pac-12. Any change, they take the brunt of it first, so everybody else can get through the the whole. I, it feels like it, it just feels like they're always trying to ice skate uphill, and I I feel bad for them. Uh, who else we got? Uh, well, USC. USC is building a class that is big and fast and fun and flashy. It is a USC class of old, uh, despite the fact that they got six offensive linemen in last year's class. They went ahead and locked up uh, three pretty darn good ones in Maximus Gibbs, Mason Murphy, and Saya. Uh, oh, that's a rough last name. Mapakatilolo? Oof. I'm going I'm to practice that. I'm going to get that one right next time. Average height, six five and a half. Average weight, 300 pounds. Um, so they got some big linemen. They they uh, um, the they just got a recruit who's going to go down in the all time name team out of Elk Grove, California. Uh, Prophet Brown, an athlete, 5'11", 176, four stars. Um, they have eighteen total commitments. They have landed a couple of really really um, highly sought after quarterbacks in Miller Moss. And Jake Garcia, Jake Garcia had one of the most heartbreaking tweets of the week. I think he said, I've yet to play a full high school season and he's probably not going to get one this year. So, oh man, I feel, I feel bad for him. You know, he's, and he's transferred like three times just looking for opportunity to play. He's a fantastic quarterback. And so that's no fun. Um, but uh, the, the couple of the crown jewel athletes of this class, I'd say that uh, Anthony Beavers is somebody that everybody in the Pac-12 wanted. It'll be really interesting to see how they use him. Uh, and then Michael Jackson, a four-star wide receiver out of Las Vegas, Nevada, is somebody who a, a lot of people are really excited about as well. So they, there's nothing to complain about if you're if if you're USC. This is the best class you've had in a in a long time, and as long as you can hang on to most of these guys and at least one of the quarterbacks, then you should be pretty happy. Uh, moving on to UCLA. UCLA has not had any commits since the last time we got together to do a podcast, but they do have two in the month of July and 12 overall. Uh, Keontes Lewis out of East St. Louis, Illinois, six foot, 170 pound wide receiver and Garrett DiGiorgio, an offensive lineman out of Phelan, California, six foot six, 300 pounds. Those are the two that they landed just in the last um, couple of weeks. Uh, one of the recruits on here that sticks out to me, DJ Justice, Miller Moss's main uh, wide receiver last year at Bishop Alamany. He's pretty talented. He's David Justice's kid. Um, he was the first commit in this entire class. And they also have uh, another son of a, a well-known athlete, Isaiah Newcomb, who is a, a wide receiver that they maybe they could maybe find a place for him uh, in the defensive backfield as well. His dad was, I believe, the quarterback at Nebraska after Scott Frost, uh, Bobby Newcomb, and he's a high school coach down here um, in Arizona. So they, they have an interesting class they put together. You and I were laughing about the fact that they had seven linebackers in last year's recruiting class. Well, in this one so far of their 12 commits, they have zero because <laughs> they don't need them. 
Um, but I think UCLA is doing a pretty good job, especially when there was a lot of criticism around whether or not Chip Kelly could recruit. So I don't know. I personally feel like they're, they're doing well. Um, Oregon state, let's touch on them for a second. They only have six commits. Um, I would say be patient, uh, with them. I think they're going to have the biggest benefit of, of, uh, you know, some of these teams that do get to play, um, because they'll have the most room and they are a power five conference school and they run an attractive offense. So, um, they, they have a lot of needs and holes, uh, and hopefully they don't just take anybody just to take them. Um, but, uh, I, I think Demir Collins, the running back out of Portland, Oregon is probably the, the gem of their class so far. Uh, and then they have kind of an interesting uh, prospect in Alex Lemon, who is a Juco defensive end, who was at one time committed to Arizona State, if I remember correctly. And I think he's been in Juco a year longer than he probably should have as well. So he'll at least be physically mature by the time that he he gets around to, to playing for them. I also am a little curious about the quarterback they landed, Sam Vidlack, two-star on rivals out of Grants Pass, Oregon. There's a lot of good quarterback options out there, and and, and I haven't watched film on this kid, but I definitely want to check him out because um, you know they, they took his commitment, and there's still a few options out there. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what they saw in him. George, do you think that Oregon State will be able to benefit from the fact that everybody else is going to have kind of a full class before we see some of these seniors play? Yeah, and they're going to have the benefit of what we talked about earlier, some of those class, some of those kids signing early, saying, no, I want to get in, have a spot. Then Oregon State is going to be able to get some gems, hopefully. Yeah, um, Oregon, on the other hand, Oregon doesn't have much to worry about. They're currently sitting on, you know, if we're using rivals rankings, 12 four-star commits, one of which being Ty Thompson, who could very well end up being close to a five-star. Um, I heard he looked fantastic out at uh, Elite 11. The offensive line recruiting in this class has been good. The linebacker recruiting in this class has been good. The wide receiver recruiting in this class has been excellent. Um, if anything, they need to maybe focus a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, what's interesting about their recruiting class is while they have just star power all over the place so far, uh, at least if we're going by the rivals rankings, five of these commits are three stars. Two of those three star commits, Brandon Buckner out of uh, Chandler High School, which we've already talked about earlier in the podcast, um, who who is the uh, um, son of Brenton Buckner, who is the Arizona Cardinals defensive line coach, former Oakland Raiders defensive line coach. Uh, I think he has enormous potential to do big things, and he's one of their lowest rated recruits. And the other guy on here who I think is very possibly underrated is I have two guys that work on my staff down here for Arizona Varsity that tell me that Jackson Light is the best center in the country. you got to feel pretty good if you're a Ducks fan, and, and you have told me that you had heard that they're they're still planning on finishing really strong. Yeah, yeah, they have a couple kids that they're super high on, that everybody in the country is high on, that they do believe that they have a legitimate shot at at, at signing and maybe even the number one recruit in the country. Um, Colorado, uh, real quick, 
they had a really strong recruiting year last year. And then obviously a coaching transition for the second year in a row. Um, they had built some inroads into Texas. So I was interested to see if they were going to be able to keep some of that up. They did get one offensive line commit from Mineola, Texas in Jackson Anderson, six foot four, 280 pounder. More recently, uh, since the start of July, they've actually landed four kids. One of which is a tight end named Eric Olson out of Littleton, Colorado, who's actually a really, really good player. Colorado has failed year after year to use the tight end in their offense. So maybe this will be the time when, when, when they finally um, find reason to do so. Uh, they did get two uh, defensive back commits, one from Council Bluffs, Iowa, and one from Cornelius, North Carolina. So they're recruiting all over the place, and that's uh, Trustin Oliver and Tyron Taylor. And they just got a defensive tackle from Jacksonville, Arkansas, in Tyus Martin, who's 6'4", 315 pounds. What do you think of this, George, of, of University of Colorado's commit list? Currently has people from, they got a couple of in-state uh, guys, but they got uh, Texas, Nevada, Florida, Iowa, North Carolina, and Arkansas all represented here. Uh, let's talk about Cal. Another uh, another strong showing um, as far as what they've been able to do relative to the success that they've had. Uh, I was interested to see if they were going to start cleaning up uh, with defensive backs based on what they've they've been able to do. They don't have any elite elite recruits. Uh, at defensive back, but I, I'm I'm a big fan of Hunter Barth, who is six foot two, two hundred, um, is a safety. They could even grow him into a linebacker, and I've heard really good things about uh, Fatu Valu Iosefa out of Mililani in Hawaii. Uh, I think that's one of the recruits that they're most proud of. They did get one four-star tight end, Jermaine Terry. There's a lot of really good tight ends in the Pac-12 footprint uh, this year. And then obviously we talked about Akili Calhoun, who has made the decision to just go ahead and skip his senior year. They have three commits in the last five days. William Reed out of Sammamish, Washington, six foot six, 260 pounds. Moses Aladejo out of Elk Grove, California. He's a linebacker, 6'3", 225. I'm surprised he escaped UCLA's grasp. And uh, Dylan Gemtegard out of Yelm, Washington, 6'4", 270-pound offensive lineman. So they have started to pick up the pace, and they are currently at 12 overall commitments. And according to Rivals, have the number 44 recruiting class in the country. You disappointed by that, George, or do you think they're they're right along where they should be? I think they're right where they should be. And they should finish stronger. The The whole point is that you really want to have four to five teams within that top 25, top 30 range, but three of them in the top 15 for, for sure. And at least one of them in, in the top five, if you, if you want the conference to really be getting the respect that they deserve. Uh, University of Arizona has kind of an interesting recruiting class um, in that they have landed a lot of guys who don't have any power five offers other than university of Arizona, which is always a little bit of a risk, but as long as your talent talent evaluations on point and they fit your system, then perhaps you can make the most of, um, of their talent. Uh, they had a really strong week. They got a wide receiver named Tyrese Johnson out of new Orleans, Louisiana, probably the best player in this class so far, if I'm being honest, based on his film, six to 190 pound wide receiver, 
this team is desperate for help at the wide receiver position. Uh, Luke Eckhart, a six foot six, two hundred and seventy pound wide receiver out of Richmond, Illinois, two star according to rivals, and they also just landed their very first in state recruit, meaning that eleven of the twelve Pac twelve teams have secured an in state recruit, Stevie Rocker Jr a running back out of Canyon Delaro High School, the same high school that gave them Kadeem Carey, former Chicago Bears uh, draft pick and probably one of the best running backs in the in the Pac-12 in the last 10 years. Uh, Stevie Rocker's a little bit different of a body type. He's 6 foot, 187 pounds. I would, I when I watch him play, he reminds me of Chase Lucas a little bit. I could see them moving him to defensive back. We will ultimately see what they do. Probably the best thing that University of Arizona has done for themselves in this recruiting class is they did land two graduate transfer defensive linemen, Aaron Blackwell, who is probably the best um one of the best uh, edge guys out at University of New Mexico and Roy Lopez Jr., who has, I think, 39 starts under his belt for New Mexico State. And you saw New Mexico State's schedule the last couple of years. This is a guy that's got experience against Alabama and and schools that are, are, are big time, and he held his own. So getting some maturity on that defensive line via grad transfer was huge for University of Arizona. However, they lose Tony Fields, which when I think of University of Arizona 2020, that's the guy I think of. I, I think he's their second leading tackler returning. He's never missed a game, and he's a three-year starter. So that's unfortunate, and that's a guy that might actually end up at USC or another Pac-12 school because uh, he he had said that it just the pandemic made him realize that he could explore his options. So um, what do you think of that, George, of, of – not really being able to hang out with your team. So you get kind of a wandering eye. Yeah. The absence does not make the heart grow fonder. I think we've learned that in, in life people say that quote, but I don't, I mean, and, and according to a you, I hope I'm quoting that quote properly. <laughs> if you build it, uh, your linebackers might leave. Uh, <laughs> And then uh, last, and I saved this one. There's no bias here. I saved this one last because they had the most absurd week, um, and and I think it's worth talking about. Arizona State landed five players in the last six days. They are Tommy Hill, six foot one, hundred and eighty five pound wide receiver who they might use at defensive back uh, out of Orlando, Florida. Lanyata Alexander, a 6'3", 170 receiver, who is, um, his film is crazy good. I, he, You and I touched on him, George, I think off uh, before we, we recorded. This is a kid that's probably underrated on the rival side. Um, got a lot of size and speed and skill. Um, and he's out of Burien, Washington. Uh, and then Martin Lucas, a 6'2", 250-pound athlete. Uh, out of Abingan, Virginia. I've never heard of that town name in my life. Uh, Garen Stansbury, 6'5", 230, out of Franklin, Louisiana. And R.J. Reagan, a 6'170 pound defensive back, out of Orange, California. Five players, five states, five days. What do you think about that, George? I mean, they they aren't getting them from from Arizona, so they got to get them from somewhere. I mean, that's right. They are the only team in the Pac-12 without an in-state commit. I, this just doesn't feel like a sustainable model 
to me. I mean, especially with with COVID, getting kid, I think that you have set yourself up for a for decommits all over the place because I think that you, you're going to kids are going to want to stay more local this year, particularly as this thing progresses. If it continues to to stay, you know, very very active and high numbers and stuff getting shut down, people aren't going to want their kids far away. So I think that Arizona State may have been uh, overplayed their hand in 2020, but we shall see. Well, what do you think of the – so uh, having been in the room where Al Luganbill, their director of player development, uh, former San Diego State head coach, he had said, one, they want to get bigger. Like that was their main goal. They want to get bigger. Two, they want to evaluate these players themselves. They have an entire evaluation office. They ignore recruiting rankings altogether. And three, the thing that they had said in the beginning was that they wanted to make sure they were getting players from the Pac-12 footprint. Now they've thrown the footprint thing out of the window. They've gone national. They've got recruits in this class from Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Louisiana, Washington, Texas, Virginia, in North Carolina. Uh, apologies if I said any of those states twice. However, not a single player on this list is under six feet tall, and eight of them are at least six five. So, I mean, that was goal number one for them was to look big. Get coaches that you trust to develop the big pieces of clay into big works of art. That was the goal from the get go. They've got a six eight offensive lineman, a six foot seven linebacker, six foot six defensive end, two six five tight ends. How about and uh get good football players? I mean, like some sometimes you, the the best football players don't fit into the measurable package that you want them to. I mean physical freaks do, but I mean like some some of the best players that we have seen aren't aren't the like aren't going to win you know an underwear model con football player contest and that shouldn't be the the goal like 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 yes you don't want your wide receivers to look like champ champ flemings at at Oregon State who's what 56 Five five, yeah, five, five. yeah, five five five. You don't want your receiver there. However, taking a five ten wide receiver, mm, that's not a bad move. I mean, if he's a baller, I mean that's Amon Ra Saint Saint Brown. Yes, any school in the Pac twelve would take him, but Arizona State at this point in time might might say, ah, nah, nah, he, he doesn't fit into our box. So you think they should be more bothered by the fact that if you take the top 10 ranked players in Arizona, they are committed to Oregon, Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, Minnesota, Cal, Oregon, Utah, and then undecided. Correct. That means that you have <laughs> at, top at talent. 10. That means you have top tier talent. Could ASU get some of these kids? And what could they do to get some of these kids? Re- recruit them i mean like with the same <laughs> i mean with the, with the same fervor that they that they tweet out cali flock with with i'm sorry uh cali whatever whatever arizona state says about cali um with the same fervor and intensity that they 
want to own the West, own California, they need to be trying to own Arizona. I think that that's a simple, simple solution because the state is proving that they're putting out blue chip talent year in and year out. The, the, the fact that you weren't even in the mix for Keely Ringo last year went to Georgia. You weren't even in the mix for Ty Thompson. You weren't in the mix for a lot of these other top tier kids. That's a problem. But you want to be in the top 10 for, you know, a cornerback out of out of New Jersey. How about you? How about you get the cornerback in your own backyard? What if the kid in New Jersey's six three though? Come on now. Yeah, who who cares? Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening to the Pac twelve Apostles. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please leave a five star review. Do not listen to Ralph and share with a friend. Not only one friend, but two, three, four, or five friends. Um, you can hit us up at I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. And hopefully we can get Ralph to watch Outcry this week so we can talk about it. I will. I'll watch it right now. Perfect. Peace out.